I think that one of the things that I, as a technologist, have always understood is that there needs to be a wider literacy on technology literacy. And so I'd like to expand AI ethics to technology ethics. And, and the reason that I'm doing that is I think that there is a lot that was not, it's opaque is the right word, where some of us who were building the technology or who were in IT having to support the technology, we understood is happening and what was going out there. Welcome to the Regulating AI podcast. Join host Sanjay Puri as he explores the dynamic and developing world of artificial intelligence governance. Each episode features deep dives with global leaders at the forefront of regulating AI responsibly, tackling the challenges using AI can bring about head-on and enabling balance without hindering innovation. Welcome to the Regulating AI podcast. Artificial intelligence stands at the forefront of technological evolution, with experts predicting that it could add trillions of dollars to our GDP but it could also negatively impact our workforce and national security. So how do we regulate it without stifling innovation? Our podcast features insights from various perspectives, industry leaders to government officials to advocacy groups. Together, they address pivotal questions that are needed to create practical legislation. I'm very excited to have Beth Rudden with us today. Beth is the CEO of Bast AI, with 20 plus years of IT and data science experience. Previously, she held roles such as Chief Data Officer, Chief Data Scientist, and Distinguished Engineer at IBM. In 2023, she was also recognized as one of the 100 most brilliant leaders in AI ethics. I invited her on this show as it is very important to get different perspectives towards framing AI legislation. And she brings a data scientist and an AI ethicist perspective. Welcome, Beth. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the Regulating AI podcast. Thank you so much, Sanjay, for having me. I'm very glad to be here. Great. Beth, to begin with, let's start by getting your perspective as to where you see the biggest ethical risks right now in how AI systems are being developed and used. What is your perspective on this? I think that one of the things that I, as a technologist, have always understood is that there needs to be a wider literacy on technology literacy. And so I'd like to expand AI ethics to technology ethics. And, and the reason that I'm doing that is I think that there is a lot that was not, it's opaque is the right word, where some of us who were building the technology or who were in IT having to support the technology we understood is happening and what was going out there. And I think that a lot of us have said, hey, we need to raise our hands here because data privacy, understanding what data in aggregate can mean to human beings on an individual level, all of those things are not that was being talked about in small groups, but not at the larger scale. And I think that when I encountered people in our government, I always took the position that we need to educate and we need to bring our level of literacy up about what technology can do. <laughs> and I think that if 
I get really excited about the the current viewpoints that AI is bringing to the world and really your mission of being able to have responsible regulation that is democratic in process. I look at this ability to educate the world on the wonder <laughs> that can be had with using this technology in an appropriate way where we treat data and insights as belonging to their creator. And what I'm most afraid of is, is having, having the process be too slow when you have such drastic discovery being made in technology on the technology side. And I think that there needs to be a level of literacy that is lifted because right now I think that we're under the ground floor. And we need more people too, like me, who are technologists that are truly trying to communicate what these algorithms are doing, how they are created, who is engineering them. Like, I want people to understand what, what's been going on and what's happening because we need the widest amount of people building this technology. And that's when you're regulating. It's after the fact, Sanjay. It's after it's been done. And my current company, we build explainable conversational AI, and we do it by giving people access to build full stack artificial intelligence from the ground up, from the data. So we always know where the sources come from. And many people are building it after the fact, where they're building explainability or responsible AI or monitoring after the model has been built. And I think that regulation and the way that our legislative process is ongoing and the way that Congress is connecting together in our democratic process in order to put the right place, I think that there needs to be a literacy test of sorts to make sure they understand what the technology can do as it is today in order to understand how to make sure that those stress tests are appropriate to make sure that it is done responsibly. And I don't have an easy solution for that in a non-technical sense. I think that part of the problem is because we have a free market and we have a capitalistic structure that allows people to really base their value and competitive value on what is hidden. And I think that is no longer functioning when some of these companies are larger than countries, entire GDP and other governments. I think that if you take it back to technology ethics, then we go back to what are data privacy laws? What does data dignity mean for a citizen in the United States? You know, when I went through and I understood what was happening with the EU Act, the primary EU AI Act is really based on risk. And that really excites me because I think that when we look at it as a level of risk, then we can look at it as, are we building technology for the appropriate outcome, for the appropriate business outcome? Many models, huge amounts of compute have been consumed to build things that have no commercial value. And I think that has more of an impact to our economy that is a bipartisan issue. And the lacking data privacy and the ownership of data. I was listening to an NPR report about the 1950s and 60s, I think. And it was housewives who would buy a contraption to put on their doorbell. 
and a advertising person who would want to sell them like the vacuum or whatever would have to insert five cents before they could ring the doorbell. And I was thinking about that as a citizen. And I was like, when could I put a paywall in front of an advertiser sending me an email? Can I get paid for my time in order to be marketed to or advertised to instead of paying with my data or paying with my personal information? So a very long-winded way to answer your very first question, but maybe we should just enforce the laws and the rules that are already on the book because there are violations occurring. So how do we do that to hold companies accountable that are not playing in the right spheres or are creating conglomerates or are doing things that maybe we shouldn't be spending government money on regulating things that are constantly going to change with technology and just enforce the laws that are already on the book? Yeah. I think there's a lot to unpack there. So I'm going to try to address a couple of things that you mentioned, which was one is a very, well, there are several critical points. You talk about education. So our podcast, our organization is called Regulating AI. One of our missions is, and you kind of touched upon it, is our legislators also need to understand it. What are they going to be regulating? What are they going to be legislating? We have an AI caucus in the House. We have it in the Senate. But think about the variety of issues that they deal with. So they could argue, hey, I'm a journalist. I can't be a specialist. And I didn't go to computer science, et cetera. So I think, Beth, obviously we are putting a lot of effort in. And remember, we have 435 members in the House, 100 in the Senate. And then we have 50 state legislations across this country. And then you have the European Union, you have the UK, you have India, and many other democracies. But I think it is really important for all of us to make sure, and that's one of the things that we are doing. And I think I would even say to you, you also need to get engaged in whatever capacity, because you know this expression way better than I do, garbage in, garbage out. And then the legislators are depending on their staffers, and we are also now working with the staff, et cetera, to make sure that they get unbiased information. So I think you touched on a very critical point, which is something which is a huge task. And I won't call it educating, more informing, bringing them up to speed, members of Congress, members of state legislature, their staff, et cetera. And it's a massive task where all of us need to be engaged. So that's something that we are definitely looking to do. Do you think that is something that just falls upon the members themselves, organization like us, or is there a just wanting to find out? And the other thing also is think about how is our communication getting transferred to the general public? In many cases, it's journalists who are out there communicating through big, large mediums. And what about educating some of these journalists also in terms of some of these things. So not to divert from the whole point, but you raised a very important point about education. And that's the thing that we kind of wanted to just touch base and get a little bit on your perspective. So I recently finished Joy Bolawamini's Unmasking A, and she is the founder of the Algorithmic Justice League. And I loved that book because it was well-written, incredibly available to 
audiences of all different types. And even as a deep cognitive scientist, I was so impressed with her ability and need and desire to communicate and to educate what was happening in the realm of facial recognition. And one of the things that was very inspiring to me was her talking about how intentional she was about building the art, the poetry, the movie, the video in order to be able to get the message across in a way that people would listen and hear. You know, we joked a little bit about living in the TikTok, like attention economy, right? But it's even more than that. Like, how do we as scientists not talk about things? And I use the term math plane. Like, we can't do that. I believe it is art. To answer your question directly, I think that anyone who has the power, who has the knowledge, it is their job to educate, whether they like it or not. (laughs) And I love how the impact that the Algorithmic Justice League has had on not only on regulation, but on industry to not use facial recognition because it is so biased and it is not equitable and it doesn't have equitable results. And one of the things that I am trying to do with FAST is to show people that they can have explainable artificial intelligence for language models. It can be done where you are understanding what sources you're ingesting, using that data pipeline to be able to carry that through to say, this is why the AI is predicting this particular response from this paragraph from this source. And in order to be able to do that, I want people to know that's possible. And the fact that we've gotten this far and so much money has been spent on something that is not sanitizing its input, potentially violating copyright, all of this, it brings to light that the easy button for anything is not a good idea, (laughs) especially for something that has so much power to influence. And when I look at what people are using the technology for, I want to bring it back to, we need to educate Sanjay, but I think we need to do it differently. I think we need to do it through channels and through avenues that my 19-year-old watches YouTube. And because he is my son, he has trained himself to watch YouTubes that give him good information, like explainer videos. And some of these YouTubers that are out there, like, CPG Gray or Kyrgyzstan. There's some great YouTubers that are out there that are explaining things and they're doing it in a way where they're showing their work. And that's something that I think maybe, I mean, how do you regulate the fact that technology should be explainable and transparent and show its work? I I don't know if that's a regulation as much as something we could easily educate the public to demand. So, Beth, Just to follow that thought, what would be some core ethical principles that you would embed in AI systems? You. Show it. Yeah. All AI systems should show their sources, show their work. And Jake, the systems that human being creates, it is a reflection 
of what that human being values, whether they know it or not. We as engineers make choices and we imbue our own culture into those systems. I was talking to my friend in Germany this morning, and she told me I should use this example because it makes her very upset. But every person in Germany is required to report their income through their husband. If they are married to a woman, then it is in alphabetical order. And 10 years ago, she asked the German government to change this. And they're like, but that is the system. Why would we change it? <laughs> it is a reflection of our culture. And so when we are in this world, in this, I call it the age of transparency. It is the end of opacity. So the systems now reflect who the creator is. So if that creator is part of the dominant paradigm, whose nature is to dominate, the system will likely have a nature to control or dominate. And so when we know this, we can then say, who are the creators? What were the engineers doing? What choices were they making? When you are outsourcing the labeling of your data to people in Kenya in order to be able to outsource, in order to get economic value in a commodified talent, you're getting what you pay for in so many ways. And you're saying you don't value that. And so there is a different way to build systems that model what we value. And I guarantee you that if you expand the people and the variety and the diversity of human beings that are creating these systems, you're going to see a lot of different types of systems. And with those different types, we don't have to have, by the way, I'm a huge fan of precision regulation. I am not a policy expert. But I do have this really great experience of working with the Promontory team, which was an acquisition that IBM made after the 2008 economic collapse. And because the bank had been doing things that were endangering our economy, the Promontory team had to create these regulations or stress tests that the bank had to pass. These tests that the bank had to do these certain things and show the auditability and show their work in a certain amount of ways. And it took the bank 10 years to pass those stress tests in some instances. And so when I was watching that and I was working with our Federal Reserve and watching how our economy was stabilized by stress tests and by regulations, I know that we can do this. I know that we can make it work. And to your point about who is accountable, who is responsible for educating, why are the people who have the knowledge of how these systems work not in the rooms to help our legislative branch understand what to put down as a good stress test? Well, some would argue that they are doing that for regulatory capture in some ways. So it's like putting the cat in the hen house, so to speak. Do you think that's a great idea? Because I think you have to look at the variety. Yeah, yeah but you have a big fear of what's happened with social media. And we just cannot afford that experiment again with AI, where you have the town square controlled by three, four 
companies globally. Those are three or four companies. That's not even close to the amount of small and medium businesses that are around in the United States. So you States. would bring it's, those people also into yes, the mix? That's you need a variety. I mean, everybody knows this. Anytime you only ask three or four people out of a crowd of 3,000, you have a ridiculous sample size. But and, isn't that what's been happening? Look at all the witnesses and everything else that's been going on. And that's the big fear that we'll have a uh, ridiculously small sample size, Beth. And that, I do think that that's why I brought up the Algorithmic Justice League and the work that Dr. Joy Bulalamini has been doing, because just like my son, it seems that this generation underneath us, older people, they seem to have a different set of channels that they're getting information in and a different set of ways to create poetry, <laughs> to create art, to create humor, to create satire, to create ways to communicate. And what I don't know is whether our Congress is listening or whether we can get into those themes. Maybe our Congress people could tell us what their inputs are. What are they ingesting into their informed viewpoint in order to be able to write the legislation? Well, that's why we're having this podcast, because this podcast goes to a lot of those staffers and members of Congress, and members of Congress come to us for asking us help for experts, and that's where we suggest people like you. So taking it a notch further, you talked about transparency being one of the core ethical principles. So are you for open sourcing of large language models? Because there is that whole big issue of open source, closed source. I think that Absolutely. But I think large language models should become a community utility. Large language models represent the, the data that those transformer models have ingested in order to be able to converse with what they have ingested. So if you looked at large language models as like a newer digital form of a library that is community-based, you already have the librarian who is responsible for what books go into the library. I would say that what needs to happen with large language models is they should become a language model for that community. And that community with the librarian could say what goes into that language model. And so I think that it's not about open sourcing the generative pre-trained transformal deep learning model. Those are already out there. It's about making sure that the curated information reflects the community that is using it. So uh, then let's just say that large language models are a community. Let's say if that large language model causes some kind of a harm. Who's going to be responsible? And I know you're not a lawyer, but let's just say, is it the developer, the deployer, or the user? Who would you pin this on, or all of them? Everyone involved in the creation of any AI system is responsible or accountable, accountable for the AI's impact to the world, as are the companies that sponsor that creation. And that is, something that has been on my mind and on IBM's website since 2017. And one of the things that you need to think about 
is where we are with our own physical and psychological safety aside, assuming physical and psychological safety, the developers of these models know what is going on and know the choices that they are making. And if we continue to not expose how models are trained who is who are the people who are labeling the data who are the people who are curating the data who are the people who are thinking that the internet is something for their public use i mean this is flagrant to me this is something where we as responsible engineers know better and know how to explain or should be able to explain to anyone how it works. And one of the things that I've been trying to get people to hear is we can build these models in a way that show their work. There's no need. If we want to look for other galaxies, or if we want to fold proteins, or if we want to do huge research that is already funded by our, our National Science Foundation, I think that it's okay that we are populating those types of models with things that we can't explain. So it's very difficult to explain all the way down to what weights and measures were used at what level of what hidden layer of what part of the deep learning algorithm. But if we want to use a deep learning algorithm in order to be able to say whether somebody has a procedure or not from an insurance agency, I think it needs to be explained. And so it's not just transparency that I'm advocating for. It is full explanation on what data was used to train the model, who was making the system choices, why was that model created, why did that model have that answer. And in science, we have this beautiful thing called test retest reliability. So if a model is only accurate to 97%, what does that 3% look like? What is it going to do? We have the tools to do this. We know we do. How do we get our government to help us scientists who are doing it right have the correct voice to show that there is a value in explaining how models work? Because you get better adoption. People actually start to use what you're building and then businesses actually get a return on the investment that they use to put the AI system in place. So, Beth, to take that perspective forward from you, so you think it is fairly feasible to create unbiased data sets and truly fair AI systems based on everything you just said? I think all data is biased, but you need to be explicit about the bias. So all humans are biased. All humans create data. Data is an artifact of a human experience. Why did that human, and only you, Sanjay, know why you created that data at that time or built the system to create the data at that time. And when you know that all data comes from humans, humans have 188 cognitive biases and counting. These are cognitive biases that we can't see unless we do the work to understand our cognitive biases. 188. And counting. So, so basically, it's not possible to create unbiased data sets at all. I think it is possible to create balanced, good, 
screening data that has the variance that you need in order to reach a target. What people are talking about as far as bias, we are in cultural bias that comes through with language. That is part of who we are. And exploring who we are is far more interesting than removing it. So then, Beth, if that's the case, what governance structures or policy interventions would best support the development of ethical AI according to you? When I mentioned that I really liked that the EU AI Act is risk-based, it put different people in the room that I think need to be in the room. And that is another branch of our government, which is the judicial branch. I think that lawyers need to help us understand the risks that AI possess for that business and for the people so that they can take that risk appropriately. So they would ostensibly, and when IBM created their charter and their AI ethics board, it was really Christina Montgomery, who sat in front of Congress, is general counsel, is lawyer. And taking it from that side of things, lawyers are going to ask, what data did you use to train the model? What choices did you make? Can you give me evidence for those choices? (laughs) And when you bring in that risk-based approach, then maybe you won't be building the models because it's too risky to try to take the amount of data that you need in order to be able to get the model to reach the accuracy that you want. So, Beth, we've asked all kinds of guests from the congressional side, industry side, et cetera, and everybody comes out saying, so the question is, should companies have a legal duty to disclose when they're using AI? Where do you come out on this? I think that the answer is absolutely yes. And I think that the companies that do so openly will be better businesses. And I'm talking about businesses, by the way, not dictatorships or other government functions. I'm talking about businesses that have good, healthy, sustainable businesses. And I think that AI regulation should be embedded in human rights, privacy, data and digital platforms that that are designed with these privacy elements in mind. And I think that where we've gone right now is our pendulum has swung too far to just be able to surface the type of AI systems that reflect capitalistic, profit-driven. They reflect the wrong values. We can showcase AI systems that go the other way that are actually better for business. And in order to do that, we need a wider variance of people building the model, doing the things, making sure that they are designed and the user experience is understood. AI is social software. It requires new hardware, new architecture, new operating systems. It has already caused huge amounts of turmoil. I mean, to the amount of circuits that we can put on a chip. AI is helping us with some of these problems. So we know that AI is going to be an integral partner in everything we do. We need that partner to be a trusted partner, which means we need that AI to be built on good referential data 
And that AI needs to be able to explain itself on why it made that decision. For me, it's the human right. And if you're going to be a company that is going to try to put some opacity (laughs) in place about whether you're using AI or not, unfortunately, it will likely come out because this is the age of transparency. Looking to make the most out of AI advancements and innovation? Visit regulatingai.org to learn more about how best to optimize the use and integration of AI and sign up for the Regulating AI newsletter to keep up to date with the latest in AI governance and regulation. Beth, you earlier alluded to something which a lot of our guests have also, which is facial recognition. Besides facial recognition, and I I have a feeling something's going to happen in regulation, facial recognition, deep fakes, and a couple of other items. But are there other applications of AI that you believe should be banned or restricted based on ethical concerns besides facial recognition? I think because we are in a system where not enough people are educated, there are many violations being created, where people's rights are being violated, where they are meant to feel something that is induced by an AI system. And the ability to hack our paleolithic bodies is unfortunately really easy to do. I've always said human beings are pretty simple or like 50 variables. It's not all that difficult. So we need to hold the companies accountable that have sold the data to the human beings that have been manipulated into committing genocide. I mean, there are some massive human rights violations that are being perpetuated by companies that are using the models. And I don't have explicit, but I would tell you that needs to be surfaced. It needs to be talked about. Journalist Maria Reza and the work that she has done, I think we have to tell these stories in order to make sure that people are aware of what humans are capable of when they do have a monopoly on technology that can change the way that a human being is behaving. I once heard apartheid be described as designed racism. And that was a really horrific instrumentation of social information and how humans will react in social environments. And as a trained social scientist, this is what we study in order to understand why we use our powers in the way that we do. And I recently heard that when the people who needed to take apart apartheid and just completely dismantle it because it was a ridiculous, horrific thing. There was a hundred different variations and simulations and the human beings chose the one. So 99 of these simulations, people died. They chose the one simulation where they educated the public on what had happened in apartheid and that's the one that they chose. And I think that education, and you said it at the beginning of this, I am very passionate about because I need people to understand. I want people to understand that there is a better way. 
So, Beth, I could go on for hours with you because I have so many different questions, but maybe that will be part two of our podcast. So final question would be for you, taking you just a little more globally because you brought this up in a side conversation. What role should international bodies like the OECD or UN play in setting global AI governance standards? Should they play any role? I believe so. I think that you need a global AI safety in it safety of human beings that is that the electricity is a great example and an analogy that's been played out many times 1906 edison versus tesla the fires that raged on in chicago well underwriters laboratory was created that created not regulations as much as codes electricians have to be trained (laughs) in order to follow codes in order to install electricity and we can have this globally so we don't have different plugs that we carry around. <laughs> I think we know how to do this. I think that those safety standards are very obvious and I would like to be proven wrong <laughs> if they are not obvious. So it's like I, I would want that to, to be sent up to certainty. I, I also think that as a global ecosystem, the amount of Earth's resources that are used in order to generate these language models There should be a cost, an accountability cost there globally. And because that is the fundamental fact about humanity is that we all belong to the same ecosystem. And it's not very smart for an organism on the ecosystem to destroy its environment. Well, that's uh, very helpful, Beth. Thank you so much. This has really been very enlightening. There are a lot of takeaways for us, but one of the key takeaways is that education is very important for our legislators and it's important for everybody to play a role. And we're going to look to you also to play a role in this and we're going to come to you. And there are many other things that you have brought up that we are going to take to the legislators at the federal level, state level, et cetera. So thank you so much for sparing the time. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me, Sanjay. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Regulating AI Innovate Responsibly podcast. You'll find links in the show notes to any resources mentioned on the show. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review.